Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we're in the book of James. Go ahead and turn there uh, as I write this exciting uh, uh, title up here. The book of James. That's right. Chapter two. Isn't that neat? Huh? I said, Whoa. Your lips are even going in a whole different direction. Two. You had to use your tongue on that one. Okay, I was excited. Chapter two. Let's grab the context there. And uh, believe it or not, we blew right through uh, verses one through four. Now we're going to go hopefully five through seven. We're cooking now, Joey. That's right. Uh, take a look there. James. And, of course, James was written by Jacobus or James. And uh, let's take a look there. Favoritism is uh, the theme that's going on here. And uh, we're going to continue on from that there. And so, uh, but let's go ahead and grab the context. And he says there in verse 1, he says, My brothers, as believers in our uh, glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And then he gives the example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But to the poor man, you say, hey, stand over there, sit, sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, verse uh, five, he says, listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are what? Poor in the eyes of who? The world to be rich in faith, and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him whom you belong? Whoa. In other words, why in the world would you do that? That's crazy. Okay, Crohn's translation. And what we've been seeing, once again, is the book of James is an acid test, and he's taking a look at some various acid tests as the church finally gets out into uh, the world, okay? And the first one we saw was trials. If you go through some hard times and you not just don't have joy, but you walk away from Jesus, you fail the test. You're not a Christian. Scripture's clear about that. The second one we saw is temptation. How do you handle sin, in other words, is the issue. Do you blame others? Do you get actually to the point where you blame God? You don't own up to your sin? Something's wrong there. You're failing the test, okay? Just being a Christian, what's the first thing you got to do? Own up to your sin. So something's wrong there if you just always are casting blame on other people for sin. The third one we finished up is, all right, how do you handle God's word? And believe it or not, people's attitude towards the Bible, Bible study, things of that nature, uh, reveals a lot. 
And we saw that an indicator that you are passing the test, a true Christian, is you're a good listener of God's word, you're a good sponge of God's word, a good follower of God's word, a good channel of God's word, a good reflection of God's word. When he reveals something to you in the law of liberty, you don't sit there and go, oh yeah, that's, that's horrible, that's gross, that's a booger, that's a scuba lawn. Uh, no big deal, let's just, honey, what's for supper? Let's go shopping, let's go out and pub. No, you deal with it. Okay, is what he talks about there. And then last time we saw the fourth acid test, believe it or not, is how do you handle other people? How you treat other people is going to be uh, a big indicator. And the first one is uh, you don't show favoritism. Okay, don't show favoritism is your first acid test on how you handle other people. He says there, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Why? Because as we saw, it is counterproductive to the purposes of God in salvation. Does he play favorites with people, meaning only certain people can get saved? Or is it available to everybody? Everybody. And then when we get saved as the family of God, he wants us to uh, uh, demonstrate that now we're all split up in these different things and certain people in the church are better than other people in the church. And no, you're supposed to keep that consistency going, okay? It's a horrible witness to the lost. Favoritism destroys that and sends the wrong message to the lost person that, well, maybe God can't save me because you don't accept me in the church. You isolate me in the church. You ostracize me in the church. Maybe that's how God's going to treat me too, right? And James says, don't you do that. It messes everything up. The second thing he's going to say with how do you treat other people is he really calls it out specifically, not just don't show favoritism, Okay, rich or poor, he says basically, hey, don't hurt the poor. Okay, not just don't show favoritism, but don't hurt the poor. Okay, he uses this phrase there in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers. Now, if you look at the book of James, when he says this phrase, brothers, my brothers, and he says not only my dear brothers, in this case, he says, listen, my dear brothers. So when you take a look at the book of James, this is basically James' way of saying, would you pay attention to this? This is serious. What I'm about to tell you, listen up. Okay, and that's what he says. Uh, let me give you just a feel for uh, this phrase that he couches, something he's about to say that's very serious. And James chapter 1, verse 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Now, the context there was, was how sin works. Don't be deceived about that. That's a good thing to pay attention to, right? You don't want to let sin master you, right? Okay, James 1, 19, he says, My brothers, uh, dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In other words, your attitude again towards the word of God, that's a serious issue, right? Pay attention to that. James chapter two, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but he's got no deeds? Can such a faith save him? In other words, it's a dead faith. It's a phony faith. That's a serious issue to have a dead faith because that means you're not a Christian. That's serious stuff, right? So he couches that. James three, chapter 10. He says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. What comes out of your mouth, a duplicit conversation or vocabulary, that's a serious issue. Okay, is what he's saying there. James chapter 4, verse 11. My bro brothers, do not slander one another. Gossip is a serious thing that you don't want to do. We're supposed to be one big family. You don't rip each other apart. Okay, he's saying that's important. James 5, 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. In the context there, waiting patiently, even though you might be going through some hard trials, is very important. You don't want to sit there and start shaking a fist at God. That's what the devil does. You don't want to do that, okay? And James 5, 12, he says, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, or you will be condemned. Okay? Keeping your word, not embellishing. That's a serious thing, right? You know, we, and start eight, 9,322 when we get there. 
Uh, but at this rate, maybe at start date 9,112, uh, <laughs> uh, that, that's a serious thing that's going on there, folks. Uh, don't embellish. Okay, because listen, uh, if you can't be trusted as a Christian, now think of this in the non-Christian sense. If you embellish all the time and you don't, or, or you say, oh yeah, I'll be there, but you never show up, you're not dependable, you don't keep your word, then when you finally get around to tell them about Jesus, yeah, right, I'm supposed to trust you on that one. But anyway, we're not there yet. James 5, 19, he finally says this. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. In other words, speaking up when somebody is in error, out of love, that's a serious issue. Flip it around. When somebody's going down a path that is destruction and you keep your mouth shut. And boy, is that going on in the church today. Can't say anything. Can't discipline. Can't say, excuse me. That's one of the most unloving things. I I want somebody. If I'm going down a bad road, hey, say something. Because sin destroys. And James says, listen, you do, this is serious stuff. If somebody's erring, you need to love them enough to tell them the truth. That's serious. And so I said all that to get to this. Now James says the same thing. And he doesn't just say brothers. He doesn't just say my brothers. He says, listen, my dear brothers. In other words, what I'm about to say is very serious. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you, you have insulted the poor. Now, what's he talking about in the context? Last week, what were they doing? He drew that distinction between here comes Mr. Goldfingers with his zoot suit. And you say, hey, he's got the best uh, uh, choice seat in the house. And here comes a poor guy. Okay. And what do you do? You, you actually sit, you treat him like a dog. You won't even give him a seat. You won't even let him sit on the footstool that you're putting your feet on. Say, sit, sit over. Just, just get out of here. You have insulted the poor. That's serious with God, is what James is saying there. Why? Because we saw last time, okay, uh, much of the early church, most of the early church was made up of just poor common folks. Okay? And the scripture is actually very clear about that. And God has chosen the bulk of the church, poor in the eyes of the world, Right? Maybe we don't have a billion dollars or a million dollars, okay? And the world looks at, oh, you poor little kids. Oh, poor fortunate creatures. Wouldn't you like to be rich like me? Poor in the eyes of the world to give the whole kingdom to. Did you realize that as Christians, we are the richest people on planet Earth? You get that? Nobody. Put a name out there. Warren Buffett, who just donated, what, $1.2 billion to the abortion industry? We're richer than him. We got the kingdom, man. Okay? But God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to inherit all this. We're rich. So why in the world would you want to treat a fellow brother like a dog? And this other guy, who's, who knows what he's doing with his riches, okay? James got some scathing rebuke later for the people who don't share the riches, okay? Why would you treat them favor? That's crazy. Why would you do that to your own brother? Let me encourage you this morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay? This is a great one. And First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, this will destroy your self-esteem, which is a good thing, by the way. <laughs> this is awesome. I love this passage. You know, sometimes you get too big for your britches. And it's like, you know, you forgot where you came from. You know what I'm saying? You ever do that? And uh, so let's take a look. First Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, here's what Paul says. Uh, verse 26. Start with verse 26. And... Uh, <laughs> I love it. What a reminder. He says this. He said, uh, brothers, okay, and there's that same word, what? Brothers, right? It's a dear term. 
He says, think of what you were when you were called. Remember what, what you were when you first got saved? What was your status in the world? All right. Not many of you were what? Wise by human standards. Not many were what? Influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what? Fools. Hey, turn to somebody and encourage them today. Hey, you're a fool. <laughs> God chose the what? You and I, the common, the poor folk, the average Joe. The foolish things in the world to what? To shame the wise. What's he talking about? Listen, I'm going to take this common average Joe person. Watch what I do with them. To shame them. Excuse me. I'll do it. God says. Then he goes on to another one. Here's another encouragement. He says, God chose the weak things of the world. Turn to somebody. You weak, weak fool, you. (laughs) Right? It's hard to get it out. But it's scriptural, believe it or not. (laughs) He says this. He says, you have chosen the weak things of the world. Okay, uh, to what? Shame the strong, right? I'm going to take somebody that you think that has no strength to do anything, whatever, and I'm going to empower them to do some fantastic things that not all your strength in this whole stupid planet can pull off, right? And then he goes on, he says this, now he's chosen the lowly things, all right? So let's put it all together. You weak, fool, lowly thing, you. Go ahead, encourage somebody in the church today. (laughs) He chose the lowly things of this world and the what? You despise thing you and his uh, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. It's because of who? Jesus Christ, a God that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become our wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, if you want to boast, boast in the Lord. Right? You didn't get here to become a Christian, he says, because you had a bunch of cash or because your pedigree or because you knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. Okay, because you were so strong and wise. and No, it's because of Jesus Christ you're here, right? And so he's going to take these common folks, okay, and he's going to take these poor folks, and he's just going to take these average Joe folks who the world would consider lowly in the eyes of the world. Who are you guys? You can't amount to nothing. You're nothing. You can't do anything. And watch this. I'm going to shake the planet. Isn't that awesome? Right? So you don't get the full impact of that until you own up with what were you when you were called, Right? And that's what James is saying there. He says, listen, man, when you sit there and you sit there and you rap on some uh, poor guy and then you play favorites with this other guy who, who knows what he's doing in the world with his so-called riches, okay, why would you insult your brother in Christ? Why would you insult the person who's also inheriting the kingdom with you, who's just as rich as you are and who blows that guy with the zoot suit away? You see what I'm saying? He says, that's, that's not consistent. Second of all, hurting the poor is not only hurting yourself and the church by and large, Okay, your fellow brother in Christ. The second one is it hurts God. Okay, you look in the scripture, you just do a cursory study. Uh, God has a heart for the poor. Let me just rip off some passages for you. Exodus 23, 6, do not deny justice to the poor uh, people in their lawsuits. Exodus 23, 11, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. The poor among you may get food from it. Okay, leave some for the poor. Leviticus 14, if however they are poor and cannot afford these, the offerings, okay, then take one male lamb as a guilt offering, etc., etc. So basically, and Joseph and Mary, right? They, they had just what? An offering of, remember that? A little bird and stuff like that. They couldn't afford that. So God made special provisions for the poor person who couldn't bring the big cow, right? So, but, and he made provision for them. Leviticus 25, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves, help them as you would a foreigner or stranger so they can continue to live among you. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and sell themselves to you, don't make them work as slaves. Hey, dude, I need a job. Can I do anything, anything, whatever? Don't work them like a slave. 
okay, is what he says there. Deuteronomy 15, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites uh, in the land the Lord your God's given you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Deuteronomy 24, 12, if the neighbor is poor, don't go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Basically, I believe the custom back that day, what was their pledge? But the only thing that they had on them that was of any value, even though we saw last week, was nothing compared to the guy's zoot suit, and that was just their outer garment. And that was basically their blanket. That was everything. That was it. Okay, so basically they had to surrender that thing to you. You made them surrender that to you to say, you know, that's my insurance that you're going to pay me back. Well, you just took his uh, bedding for the night. He's going to freeze to death. That's his protection. That his what? Why would you do that? You know, I continue on. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, 15. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. Psalm 12, uh, because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. Uh, Psalm 14, you evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Psalm 15, he who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent, whoever does these things will never be shaken. God will bless you for it. Psalm 34, 6, the poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his trouble. Psalm 35, my whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord, who rescue the poor from those too strong, the poor and needy from those who rob him. Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Uh, Proverbs 19, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what he's done. Uh, Proverbs 28, those who give to the poor will lack nothing. Uh, uh, Proverbs 29, if a king judges the poor with fairness, his throne will be established uh, forever. Proverbs 31, speak up and judge fairly, defend the rights of the poor. Isaiah 3 says, what do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor? It's a rebuke from God. And, and listen to this. He says this, Isaiah 61, this is the call of the Messiah. This is what Jesus said when he went back to his hometown and he starts to give the sermon. He gave the prophetic passage. He was reading Isaiah, basically saying to the people who knew it in that day, whoever is reading this passage as such and claiming it, that's the Messiah. The Messiah says, Jesus is coming. And listen to what he said he's come to do. Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news. What's the first thing he says? To the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness uh, the poor. Okay, and then he says this, um, he says, uh, uh, Jeremiah 22, he defended the cause of the poor and needy, so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? In other words, God has a heart for the poor. And so why does he want us to emulate that? Because as the father, so the son, right? Be ye holy because I am holy. I want you to resemble me. I want you to be that commercial. God taking care of the poor okay, is his way, if you will, of showing his merciful heart. And if you think about it, that's what he's done with us, right? Who who did he put us with? We are considered what? Poor, maybe not all destitute like the the example with the beggar, okay, but in the eyes of the world, how do they look upon us as Christians? Poor goofballs, right? Especially today, with the persecution, oh, you're like some weird wacko hypocrite, you know, whatever, but you're just usually poor, (laughs) you know, uncultured folk, right? Isn't that how they look at us? Right? It's too bad you guys don't have a life, but I do. I don't need that church stuff. You're just those common weird folk. Right? You need that stuff to be brainwashed. Right? That's how they look at us. And so he showed mercy to us. And so James is saying, listen, God has chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him. Okay? Were we not poor in spirit? 
We read our text, 1 Corinthians 1. Were we not outcast according to this world? Were we not destitute, headed straight to hell? Are we not thankful that God has been kind to us? Then he says, go and do likewise, okay? Be kind to the poor, okay? Help them out. I helped you out. You were poor in the eyes of the world. Why in the world would you sit there? And of all things, this zoot suit, gold-fingered guy, who's we're going to see oftentimes blaspheme God, why would you show that person favoritism and your fellow brother in Christ who's just as rich as you say, sit over here like my dog? You're failing the test, James is saying. Okay? Why would you want to hurt the poor? Okay? I think we all kind of know that inherently. You know, it's not a good thing to insult the poor. I'll never forget this. Well, first of all, we grew up in poor circumstances. How much time do I got to tell you my story? <laughs> our house back in Nebraska, or just this side of Nebraska, out in the middle of nowhere, they raised buffalo there now. Uh, it's called the Rock House and uh, because it was made of rock. No insulation. Man, that was a freezing winters. And we had to cut wood just to get the furnace down below, which was a creepy thing. I'm so, praise God, I grew up uh, in those conditions before they came out those Freddy Krueger movies because that was a creepy basement, man, with that furnace. Woo! But anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, so uh, it was for you know, you didn't have, you, I had no idea how bad it was until you get older, you know what I'm saying? But dad and mom did the best that they could, what have you. And, uh, but out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and uh, it, later when you got older, when I got into like junior high and high school and you started having that peer pressure, I remember being ashamed. I remember I never wanted to have people to come over because I didn't want them to see how we lived in it. And I remember one time that uh, I think it was like our high school, we went to Kansas City, we went to Worlds of Fun, you know, their amusement park back there. And I remember some of my classmates were making fun of these uh, poor people and, uh, and people who were less fortunate. And it just, it just, it, I wasn't even a Christian, and it just made my stomach turn. We all know inherently it's wrong to treat with contempt the poor and the less fortunate. That's, that's the heart of God. And that's what he's saying. What are you doing? And he says, there, but you have insulted the poor. You actually said, sit at my feet like a dog. You've insulted the poor. It's atimanzo in the Greek. It means to dishonor, to insult, to treat with contempt, whether in word, deed, or thought. James is saying, listen, you say you're a Christian? You're saying that you're glad that God doesn't make fun of you for how you were raised? You say that you're glad that God accepts you no matter how, where you came from? You say you're so fortunate, you're so appreciative that God no longer considers you a castaway? Then what in the world are you doing treating a fellow brother in Christ like that? Excuse me? Okay, he says that is not consistent. Okay, and then he flips it around. Okay, then he goes into well, here's why it's so ridiculous. Okay, is because you have started to not only don't hurt the poor, but don't celebrate. Okay, the rich. Okay, to that extreme, and that's that's the dichotomy again. He says there is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him? We'll get to that in a second. But see, believe it or not, this was a big problem uh, even with the Jewish people. And we read this in the text there. The Jewish people thought, just like unfortunately people do today, that if you got money and if you got all kinds of nice things, then somehow that's a guarantee that you're saved and that's a guarantee that you got God's blessing. Really? Hey, Warren Buffett, I just mentioned him. He's got billions of dollars. Is that the blessing of God upon him? What's he using the cash for? To murder children. Riches are not a guarantee that you are being blessed by God. It might be Satan's way of keeping you from God. 
Because you don't need God. Because you have everything that you need. And then he'll get you to use your riches not to help the poor. Think of that dichotomy. How many children could he have saved from the abortion industry with $1.2 billion? Instead, he's using it to kill them. And if he doesn't get saved, he's in a heap of trouble. Just like anybody else. Okay? And that's what the Jewish people, they thought that, man, if you had riches, you were in like plant. And so, if you will, in the early church was made up of primarily Jewish Christians at the point. Uh, this was kind of like, wait, wait a second. I thought, you know, if you're rich, you're in like Flint, right? And this is the passage, Matthew 19. Again, I tell you, Jesus speaking, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples heard this and they go, it says here, they were greatly astonished. What? Their minds literally were blown. What, what, what are you talking about? This guy's got cash. And you're saying it's almost impossible for him to be... Uh, in the kingdom of God, I mean, he's got the money. He's got the, he, surely that's God's blessing. That's what the Pharisees taught, and that's what they touted. He says, and they said this. Well, the rich guy, the camp. Well, then who then can be saved? If that guy with all these blessings that guarantees his salvation can't be saved, then we're in a heap of trouble. And Jesus said, "Listen, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." This was the problem of the rich young ruler, Matthew nineteen. He came up to Jesus, right, and he says, "Hey, what must I do to be saved?" Right? Well, I've kept all that stuff. Really? Okay, I'll tell you what. And he went for the heart of it. Go sell all your possessions and give it to the... And he went away gladly going, Yahoo! Yeah! That's all i got to do. I'm... He went away with sadness. Right? So what did his riches do for him? Draw him closer to God or became a stumbling block? Stumbling block. Right? And, and that's what James is saying. Listen, be careful. Okay? So uh, that spiritual or that riches don't be spiritually choke the life out of you, or if you're not a Christian, they keep you from God. I think it's going on. And so there's there's a danger, there's a blessing in it, and we've saw before. Maybe we'll get into later when we James really gives a serious rebuke. There's nothing wrong with having money. Did you know that? The Bible talks about all kinds of stuff about money, but the Bible talks about the danger of money. And even in the Christian context, God will bless people in the church with the means to make a lot of money. Nothing wrong with that. It's what you do with the money. Right? And, and that's the point. Because maybe the reason why God's blessing you is because he wants to use you as a channel for the church. Paul talks about there. Right? Doesn't mean that you can't have nice things. Doesn't mean you can't have a nice house, so to speak, whatever. But do you really need that 19th swimming pool? Now, maybe you're going a little bit too far. But it doesn't mean that you know, every good Christian is a poor Christian. No, God blesses certain people with the ability to make money and you take care of your needs and that's okay. You don't have to necessarily live in squalor conditions per se. But he wants to now use you to help the needs. That's how the early church got started. We already talked that. I don't want to believe that again. Okay? So that's the issue. Okay? And now he goes into the, 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 the spit it out there, Sparky, the dichotomy. He says, now don't hurt these poor people. If you got the cash, use it okay, to help. Right? But don't go and sit there and celebrate these people who, by and large... Now, obviously, in this context here is what we're going to see. Obviously, I think he's talking about a non-Christian rich person. Because listen to what they're doing. Okay, And again, what's the dichotomy? You've got two people who come to your church services. Do non-Christians come to church services? Yes, they do, unfortunately. Okay, And so here you've got one of them's a poor guy, and he might very well be your brother in Christ who's inherited the kingdom just like you, okay? And here he comes, Mr. Zoot Suit, with obviously oodles of cash. He's making a big show of cash. He wants everybody to know he's got cash. And then here you say to your most likely poor brother in Christ, who's just like you, lowly in the eyes of the world, okay? 
and you say, here, you're a dog, and here you get the best seat. He said, like, you've got to be kidding me. Because if you look at, unfortunately, with a lot of people in our world who do have a lot of money, non-Christians, what are they doing? Are they encouraging other people in God? Are they using the resources for the things of God? Are they promoting the causes of God? No. They're using it for all kinds of ungodly things. And that's what he's going to bring out in these three examples. Like, So why would you celebrate that? Why would you honor that? That's crazy. That's nuts. Let's take a look at how he breaks it down. He says the first thing, okay, is that verse 6, is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Okay, so that's the first thing that they're going to do is, uh, unfortunately, in the world, exploiting you. Okay, it's the Greek word katadunesteo, and it means to exercise harsh control over, to use one's power against, to oppress. All right? And you think about this, some folks who have a lot of cash, unfortunately, non-Christians, what do they use their money for? To not just oppress people, but they are oppressing the poor. They are harsh with the poor. Listen, they enslave the poor to get even more rich. Did you know that slavery today is in high gear? In fact, some statistics uh, shared with the Jordan, he said it's actually more prevalent than it was back in the days of slavery. Because we don't think that. Because there's all kinds of child slavery going on, not only with the uh, sex trade that's going on all over the planet, okay, but there's all kinds of, even here in America, okay, but there's all kinds of slavery going on in um, these kind of conditions with trying to rip people off in these foreign countries. Let me give you a couple examples, okay? Uh, Ruskilakon is a village in Switzerland with a very low tax rate, and very wealthy residents, but it receives more tax revenue than it can use. This is largely in thanks to one resident, Ivan Glassenberg, CEO of Glencore, whose copper mines in Zambia are not generating a large bounty tax revenue for the Zambians. Zambia has the third largest copper reserves in the world, but 60% of its population lives on less than $1 a day. Tax avoidance by corporations cost poor companies an estimated $160 billion per year, which is almost double what they receive in national aid. In other words, you wouldn't even need national aid if these guys would stop ripping the poor people off just to get rich. For every $1 given to aid in a poor country, $10 gets drained out by these people. Vital money that could help the poor pay for health care, schools, pensions, and infrastructure. Money that can make them less reliant on aid, but nope, these guys are ripping them off. The poor, specifically. Let me give you another example. Walmart, slave labor. Listen to this. China's slave labor is a real problem in our world today. Corporations are using children for cheap labor, and so the top CEOs of the company can get even richer. Walmart is one of the biggest, uh, today's biggest corporations. And it's not just growing rapidly in the United States. In other countries, such as China and Bangladesh, Walmart has been making factories at a constant pace uh, in those two countries. Listen to this. In Bangladesh, women and children are forced to work about 14 hours a day, often seven days a week, for wages as low as around 13 cents an hour. These, this is today. These extremely low wages just keep the women and children right on the poverty line and leave them no way uh, to get above it. Walmart's internal audit in 2000 pointed to extensive child labor violations. It is said in some reports that children are being forced to sleep on the factory floors due to the extreme working, hard, uh, working hours and conditions. And one of the owners over there, this guy, Mohammed Sadir Raymond, a factory owner, he said, quote, listen to his, what he said, we consider the workers to be our slaves, and this belief is made all the easier by a supply of labor that is endlessly abundant. In other words, it sure beats starving to death on the street. Yeah, I mean, it's 13 cents an hour, but at least you got food in your gut. 
Oh, by the way, there's 900 other people lined up that want your job. You better do what I say. Treat them like a slave. I saw this growing up back in the Midwest, in Kansas. My mom, believe it or not, yes, this, I'm going to reveal a moment of truth. What is Pastor Billy not like chicken? She actually worked for Tyson on the line with chicken carcasses. And I can tell you some stories. But uh, Nolly went, whoo, goes on the chicken line. Uh, but one of the things was, uh, in Kansas, obviously, there's not a lot of jobs, right? Uh, and, uh, and a lot of it's uh, weather-related. So you might have a job, but it goes away once the snow hits or it gets too cold if you're working outside in constructions, farmings, things of that nature. So you're, you're up a creek for you know, a lot of the year, and you've got to go find something. Well, they, they use that. There's a lot of clothing factories and things of that nature. My mom, my grandmother used to work in there. Horrible conditions. Uh, a lot of people in these factories uh, develop emphysema. My grandma was one. Uh, things of that nature with all the lint and the dust that goes in the air. And, uh, but my mom on Tyson, she said what they would do is they would get fired if they left the line. If you had to go to the bathroom, and I don't care how bad it was, if you left the line, you were fired because there were six other ladies who wanted your job. And my mom said that there were ladies there that would just literally go in their pants because they didn't want to lose the job. This wasn't that long ago. It still goes on here. Okay? And my mom says she figured out a way that where she could do two people's jobs with the air impact wrenches that she had to do with what she was doing with the chickens. Okay? <laughs> I won't tell you that. And uh, so that one of the ladies could go to the bathroom real quick and hurry and get back and do that. And that's how they would help each other out. Otherwise, you'd be fired. Continue on. It says this. Uh, China, where the world's largest amount of Walmart sweatshops are located, uh, average pay in the China's economic zones is just about three cents an hour. At the end of the usual 18-hour work days, the workers lead single file into dorm rooms packed with 16 metal bunks. Then they're locked in, no way to escape. Many children die from diseases and lack of nutrition in these factories uh, that in a way resemble work camps that were used in World War II by Nazis and Hitler. Child slave labor, without a doubt, exists in the world today. Many corporations, including Walmart, are taking advantage of poverty-stricken people and paying them just enough to survive barely, while the CEOs make out with hundreds of thousands of dollars each week. So put this in the context. This is what James says. Are these guys not exploiting you? So, I mean, it's bad enough you're going to treat your most likely fellow brother in Christ, who maybe is lowly in the eyes of the world. Oh, by the way, so are you. And you're going to sit here and treat him like a dog, but you're going to celebrate this guy? This guy who's exploiting you? This guy who's guilty of that? So he's got riches, but what is his behavior? You're going to celebrate that in the church? Something's wrong, is what he's saying there. The second thing he says there, are they not the ones who are dragging you into a court? Uh, it's hell kuo uh, in the Greek there, dragging, okay, and which means to drag off, to draw to, to lead into, okay? And this, again, is often what some folks, non-Christian, rich folks, do today. They drag specifically poor people into court. They draw off their rights. They lead them straight into jail, while them, the rich, who have the cash to hire the big lawyers, get away with murder, literally. One guy says this. I'll share this story. It's one of my favorite ones. True story. He said, I had a student. His name was Brian. And he graduated the top of his class. He went to Harvard Law School, graduated again from the top of his class. He's a, a young, handsome, brilliant, articulate uh, uh, African-American. And uh, he says, have you any idea what a top graduate of Harvard Law School is able to earn with a firm? A million bucks? I mean, you're talking some serious cash. Easily. Do you know what he's doing? He's living, Christian... He's living in a one-room flat in Montgomery, Alabama. And every morning he gets up and goes down to the jailhouse and he defends the men and women on death row for free. Why? 
He says this, because he said, listen, it has nothing to do with the death penalty. It has to do with this. He says, we have two kinds of law in this country. One kind of law for the rich and the powerful and another kind of law for the poor and the oppressed. He says, we don't put criminals to death in America. We put poor people to death in America. Why? Because the poor have no one to speak for them. And then he paused and said, except in Montgomery, Alabama. Because in Montgomery, Alabama, I speak for the poor and I'm good. Wow. So I would say that, that's how it's supposed to be. You, know, you flip it around the positive side. That's what James is saying a true Christian should do. You go and defend the poor. Remember we read the passages, and I didn't read them all, obviously, uh, that God has a heart for the poor. You go defend them. You defend the fatherless. You defend the poor. You, you seek justice for them. You don't abuse them. You don't exploit them. You don't drag them off to court. You don't blame them for your murder and get away with it. You defend them. Okay? And so the person that is not doing that, uh, who gets away with murder, okay, and uh, who is dragging these poor people off to court, they're the ones taking the hit for you who did it and they didn't, okay. Why would you celebrate that? Why would you show fa- I mean, his favoritism isn't right anyway. That's what we saw all of last week. But why in the world would you do it for that person who's guilty of that? Dragging poor people into court. Letting them take the death penalty for their crimes. You've got to be kidding me. In the church, a Christian, what? The third thing he says there, he says, verse 7, Aren't they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him whom you belong? Slandering is the Greek word blasphemeo. Guess what English word we get from that? Blasphemy or blaspheme, right? It means to speak reproachfully, to revile, to speak evil of, to blaspheme. Okay, and believe it or not, this is what oftentimes rich people do today, Right? Okay, they use God's name in vain. They blaspheme Jesus Christ. They revile and speak evil of the church. Why in the world would we celebrate that? Why would we show favoritism? Period, you shouldn't. But why would you show favoritism to people who are guilty of that? And you, oh, I'm, not, I'm not celebrating people who blaspheme the name of God and Jesus and the church. Are you kidding me? Right? One of the most popular things, uh, uh, my uh, nephew works at one of them. I won't tell you the name of the show, but one of the popular things on TV today okay, is the whole program about the lives of Hollywood. Those Hollywood entertainment shows about the lives of the rich and famous. And what, they, what, what is it? They're gossip Hollywood channels, right? About, did you hear about Brad and Angelie? Did you hear about these guys? Or did you hear about these guys? And what they did? And what are they going to do? It's like, what? Why would you waste your time with that? You look at these people's behavior, and yeah, guess what? They've got a lot of cash. Hollywood gives them oodles of cash. Okay, could even be sports figures. Okay, but you, you look at this is what gets me back in the day, and it still goes on today. You get these guys who are rappers. Okay, and it's not just rappers; it could be any other musical genre. But that seems to be one of the biggest, obvious ones. Okay, and they wear all these big, giant, massive gold crosses or whatever. And then what are they singing about? What are they glorifying? Not God. They're blaspheming His name, singing about all kinds of filth and anti-Christian, anti-God. And but you show up to receive your reward with a big old giant cross. What? That's blasphemy. How could you have the cross on with on the one hand and then sit there and say what you do with music? Christian, why would you even watch that? That's, that's, that's blasphemy in the name of God. Kathy Griffin, we showed this on the final countdown study. She received her reward. She held up her reward and she says, Blanket Jesus, this is my God now. At that moment in time, why... Would any Christian ever watch any program ever, even an interview show? I don't care what it is from her ever again. 
Can I tell you something? Probably still happens today, even in the Christian community, doesn't it? Oh, he's so fine, he's so fine. What? I'll give you another one. Movie producers, and this is an actual quote from one producer, the guy who made the uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. He said this, the job of the artist, these are the guys making the movies in Hollywood. The, the direct quote from this guy, the job of the artist is to say, blank you, God, blank you in the Old Testament you wrote in on. Whoa. Why would you celebrate that as a Christian? Why would you watch a show promoting that? Why would you set your DVR? I can't miss that. For this stuff that just goes on and on and on and glamorizes their behavior. Yeah, they live in this palatial place. Yeah, they got cash coming out of their ears. But who cares? I mean, if you're going to get consumed with something, pray that God would save them. Right? Why would you continually ingest that stuff? Okay? True Christians, James is saying, when he breaks this down with these rich people, they don't uh, uh, celebrate the poor being abused. They don't celebrate the poor getting the shaft. They don't celebrate rich people getting fat and escaping justice. And they don't celebrate rich people taking God's name in vain, blaspheming Jesus, and mocking the church. It's wrong, period, to show favoritism in the church. But if you thought it was bad last week when he's drawn the dichotomy between the poor guy and the rich guy, and telling the one guy to sit at your feet like a dog and giving the other guy the... The uh, choice seat in the house. Now he goes a step further. Can you catch it now? He goes a step further and says, that's crazy. Because most likely these people, non-Christian rich guys, are exploiting you, dragging you off to court, and blaspheming God. It's wrong, period, but why in the world would you ever, ever do that as a Christian? Does God, as the Jewish people thought, only save rich people? What kind of message, if you do that in the church, are you given to the lost? Are you given to the rich guy who's exploiting you and abusing the poor? Are you giving him false assurance of salvation like happened back in the Jewish people day? Well, he's got to be blessed by God because look at him. At the same time, the poor person who you just treat like a dog saying, well, listen, I don't have anything. I'm destitute. I'm lowly in the eyes of the world. I guess I could never be saved like that guy that you just honored. Wrong message. Wrong message that God doesn't want us to sin. One guy says this, and we'll close with this. He says, when you side with the rich, you side with the blasphemers. When you go against the poor and the downcast, you go against the ones that God has chosen. You are utterly inconsistent. You have reversed the whole picture. Partiality, then, is inconsistent with true Christianity. He says, I want to tell you something. He says, did you know there's not going to be any poor people in heaven? Did you know there's not going to be any outcasts in heaven? He says, I hear people preach all the time. Well, you know, uh, you're going to get rewards if you goof up and, uh, uh, you know, and if you goof up in your life down here, you're just going to have a small place in heaven. Now, the Bible does talk about rewards, five different kind of rewards. We've talked about that before. Okay. But what do you get to heaven? You get to heaven, you tout them. Hey, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, I've got five. You got maybe one. Hey, I'm better than my... No, there's not that. Revelation 4 says we lay him at Jesus' feet. Praise God. The ability to even earn a crown still came from him and he gets the glory and honor, right? So there's no competition in heaven. There's no outcasts. There's no poor people. You're rich. No. So, so don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. There are rewards, but that's not what he's talking about. He said, you know, but you, know, you hear these stories about, he said a sermon, I heard a guy say, now, whatever you do in this life is sending up building materials. And some of you are sending up fine brick and marble. 
And some of you are sending up the most beautiful pillars and you're going to be living in this mansion in this fabulous place. And some of you are sending up there just cardboard and two-by-fours. And you're going to be living in this heavenly shanty town. And on and on and on you went. He said, I want you to know that there is no respecter of persons in heaven. And that includes God. There won't be any poor people there. And listen, there won't be any slums. Everybody's going to be living in the Father's house. Now, I don't have too much time to go into this, but a Jewish custom, when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms, you understand the Jewish custom back in the day? The Father said, you want, let me give you a break it down for you. Everybody, well, I'm going to have a mansion. Or I'm going to have a cabin over here. Or you're going to have a little shanty town because you didn't do much for Jesus. You know. Whoa, whoa. The Father's house, literally to do a vernacular, was a family apartment complex. What? I didn't want to be that close to Joey. Well, too bad. Okay. He's going to be right next door. You know, but it's heaven. You're going to get along. It's going to be awesome. And believe it or not, every morning when I get up out on the balcony for the whole people to see and I tell my morning corny joke, it will actually be funny. It will be heaven after all. And we'll start the day off right. Uh, but I know. We can dream. We can dream. <laughs> Anyways. No, but it's an apartment complex. The father's house. Because back in the Jewish day, you'd have the father's house and he has kids. And when the kids got married, they didn't go away. Okay, yeah, I know, but it's a good, good thing. It's heaven, it's heaven. And what they would do is they would go back, and this is what Jesus, the scripture says, is doing for us right now. He's building a hoopah, a bridal chamber. And that, that's, all, that's an addition onto the father's house. And they would go back there, and then the young family would start that, right? And then guess what? Then another kid would get married, what'd he go? He would go and have, build a hoopah, and he'd build a bridal chamber and build onto the father's house. So the father's house began to expand, as the family began to expand and the kids got married and grandkids and things of that nature. That's what Jesus said. In my father's house, there's many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go, church, to prepare a place for you, a hoopah. Did he say, I'm going to give just you poor people a shanty town and you rich people, I'm going to give a mansion? We're all going to the father's house. We're all going to to the Father's house. He said, everybody's going to be living in the Father's house. We're all going to receive the same eternal life. We're all going to inherit the promised kingdom in all its glorious fullness. It will all be ours no matter how long we worked, how short we worked, we get the same full wages. Listen, isn't that the parable of the 11th hour? Well, that ain't right. I've been a Christian for 25 years sweating and Reed just got saved last week and, and we both made it to heaven and that ain't right. Salvation, salvation, Right? You get, the, you get the same result, okay? You should be excited that, you know, if on the one hand, that God gave you those 25 years to hopefully lay up treasure in heaven, right? But it's not building materials is the distinction there. He says, we're all going to be like Jesus, and those are wonderful truths. And so what James is saying, he's saying, how in the world could you look down on the poor when God has chosen the poor to be eternally rich? And how can you show favoritism to the rich who blaspheme God? Listen, you are unbelievably unlike God. Can I translate that? Man, you are failing the test. How could you sit there and say you're a Christian on the one hand, and yet you're doing that to other people? That is so inconsistent, it's not even funny. Maybe as a Christian, again, how, how far can you push and still be a Christian? I don't know. I don't know the heart. I know we Christians can sin. I know we Christians can take detours. Okay? And maybe we can develop that over time, unfortunately, and then hopefully God pulls us out. But if that's just your modus of operandus and that's your deal and you sit there and celebrate the rich who exploit and abuse and all that stuff and then your fellow brother in Christ you treat like a dog, I'm sorry, something's wrong. Do you really have the heart of God? Do you really have the Holy Spirit in you? You really aren't concerned about that? You're not convicted? 
Maybe it's because you're not a Christian yourself. You're failing the test. But that's not all. The next one we're going to see to other people uh, is uh, you don't break the law of love. So you not only do not show favoritism, you don't hurt the poor, you don't celebrate the rich, you blaspheme God, but you don't break the law of love. What's that? Well, thanks for asking, Joey. We'll have to get to that next time. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not The two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many of you have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay, the Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the heart, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. 
such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that He sent His one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him, what He did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but He will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. 
uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.